All right. Hey, everybody had a good 4th of July weekend? Yeah, yeah. Anybody blow up something you weren't supposed to? You got your fingers? Good, that's good, good, good. Hey, I got a couple of announcements really, really quick before we get into this. First of all, a couple of weeks ago, I was up here and I gave a talk that wasn't about money. Remember that? I said it five times, it's not about money. But I did mention a financial workshop. So this Saturday, uh, July 13th from 9 to 3, it's a workshop. I've gone to it myself about how to get out of dumb debt that we've created in the past, but we don't know how to get out of that hole. So that helps me. It's helping me get out of that hole, but also how to point your money towards things that really matter in the world. That's a great workshop. You can get on our website. And, and look at that. Hey, hey, this is 4th of July weekend, so I want to kind of pay honor to some men and women that I think don't get paid enough honor to, but about, about six weeks ago, um, I stood up here and I told you about, I got this email from this guy named Nate Goodman who was over in Afghanistan, and he led, uh, he was at Kandahar at the base there, and, and he led this, this Bible study based on this thin red line and put his picture up there and stuff like that, and he's back and everything's good, and, uh, but, but since that weekend, over the last month or so, I've, I've been notified by, by, by dozens, maybe 30 or 40, maybe even 50 military men and women who are stationed all over the world saying, we do that too on our base, or we do that on our ship. And I, I want to share with you one of the best Facebook messages I've ever received. And I hate Facebook, but this is one of the best. We all remember why. Right? But, anyway, but, anyway, <laughs> but anyway, I want to read you the best Facebook message I've ever gotten. It's from a guy named John Bernal. All right. And here he goes. It says, Dear Pastor Jim, my name is John Bernal. That's him with the ladies. There he, all right, so anyway, he says, I'm, eight, I'm 18. I was going to Flatirons back when we were in the feed store across the way. I am. I was a frequent Flatirons churchgoer with my mother and family, but I'm currently in Japan protecting our country. I'm stationed in Sasebo, Japan, which is about a three-day boat ride from North Korea. I'm with the United States Navy 7th Fleet Forward Deploy Branch, meaning I'm lucky to be on dry, dry land for 60 days out of the year. I listen to Yorn Scott's podcast every day, and when I get a chance, I wear my Me Too t-shirt. Sometimes I wear it under my uniform. I think that's illegal. But anyway... <laughs> To keep my head up, this was noticed about a month ago by one of my shipmates, and they asked why I wear it, and I told them how Me Too was born, and what it means, and got him to listen to the podcast with me. Then he told his girlfriend about it, and she told all her friends, and my division all started to listen to it, and now we have over 150 sailors listening to you out in Japan, which is a lot, because we only have 247 sailors on the whole ship. Isn't that cool? Even better news is that we have taken this and made it viral. The civilians in Sasebo are listening to it too after we translate it as best we can. <laughs> translate me into Japanese. That's got to be a whatever, right? Uh, on top of that, I hold a Flatirons podcast showing every Sunday on the ship. And when we were in port, I do the second day in port. And last night we had to move it outside because the flight deck was too small. But all in all, I wanted to write you because you and Scott have helped boost the morale of my shipmates. And you, and you doing that means that you make us more combat ready, which in a way means you are protecting this country as much as I am. And I thank you for all you've done. And God bless you and God bless America. Isn't that awesome? That is so cool. So. So the way this thing works is that, and I'll talk more about this next week, but, but so this, this service is going to go out all over the world next Saturday and Sunday, which means these guys, on, men and women on this ship, are going to listen to this next week and know that they're not forgotten and stuff like that. But I know we have a lot of military people in here, so if you have ever, past or present, served in our military, it's 4th of July weekend, will you just stand up so we can say thank you to you and honor you? Stand up all over the room. Give it up for these men and women. Yeah. Good, good. Hey, real quick. All right, I'll see so I, I, I started to say if it's okay with you, but I don't care if it's okay with you. I'm praying for you. Like it or not. Here we go, all right? So should we just pray for these people that just stood up for us? Let's just do that real quick, all right? God, thank you so much. We, we don't care about politics. We don't care about all that stuff. All we want to say is thank you for raising up these men and women who have went out there and, and, and gotten on ships, gotten on planes, whatever, and they're, and they're fighting for the values that we hold on to. Those values allow us to sit in rooms like this and, and worship you. And in some places of the world, that's not possible. So thank you for them protecting our freedom. Thank you for setting other people free around the world. Thank you for bringing them home. God bless their families who have sacrificed so much uh, so that we can be free. And we just don't want them to ever know or think that they're forgotten. Because in this place, they're not. We love you. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. All right. Good. Hey, hey so I got one more, one more part of that, okay, before I get into this. So August the 11th, so every, every once a year, maybe twice a year, the, the Rockies down at Coors Field, they have this thing called Faith Day or Church Day. And for the last like five or six years, we've all gone down there as a group. And there's like 2,000 of us that go down there. And we just take over part of the ballpark. But you get 2,000 Flatters people, it's... In, in one space, it's just, it's, it's not, it's dangerous. And, you know, some, you know, usually some of us get arrested and then we bail you out because we're flat irons. But anyway, um, but anyway, so you, some of you going, he's kidding, right? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I'm kidding. But anyway, so this year, all right, so I had this idea. We want to treat all of our military families to free tickets to that ball game. So, so here's the thing. If you, and there's so many, you know, veterans in this place. So I kind of have to limit it down. I really want to pay honor to, to our younger men and women uh, veterans. So if you've served in our military, 9-11 up to the, to, to the, to the current day, all right? After this service, you are family members. So some of you still have people in your family that are stationed overseas. So you go out to the information center. There's an American flag out there. A guy actually flew out over Kandahar and sent it to me. So it's a, there's a flag hanging out there at the info center. You go out there. It's on the honor system because you're very honorable men and women. You go out there and say, I need four tickets for my family. I need a ticket for me and my girlfriend, whatever that is no questions asked we will we will take care of you all right so so you come to the game and i'm gonna sit in the middle with you i've already said i got my tickets in your block so anyway so there's that the other thing is that for those, for those of us who were not in the military but we want to honor these men and women i need you to go out there in the same place and go here's some money i want to cover their stuff all right cover their tickets and and i know they're gonna get too much money which means i'm gonna sit in the middle and i get to buy the whole section drinks and rocky dogs and for jesus all right so anyway we're gonna do that <laughs> so if you want to do that as soon as the service is over military families you go out there again it's on the honor system or if you want to contribute to that you go out there okay cool we do that is that all right good all right so anyway so last week i gotta jump in so last week scott took us if you have if you weren't here you gotta get online and listen to this but took us through a series of old really cheesy songs remember this all, all about identifying this thing called friendship and the goal of last week was for us to identify that every one of us all right needs a few not a whole lot but a few authentic relationships in our life Safe, honest, we call them two in the morning people in our lives that will be there for us and that we will be there for them, all right, in good times and hard times. And Jesus said, and that's what this whole series is, that's just a better way to live. Meaning this, it's not impossible to follow Jesus or be a good man or a good woman on your own. It is possible. It's just a lot harder when you're trying to kind of live life on your own. And what Jesus said is this, running after me together in a me too community, that's, a better, that, that's just a better way. So, so last week or the last couple weeks, we've been listening to all these songs, getting ready for that, for that week. And, and so we're listening to all these songs for these people on stage, listening to music. It's like blood in the water for sharks. They just were like, yeah. Listen. So we, so about an hour we were going, what about this song? What about that song? And remember this whole song and all this, we kept going on and on and on and on and, and on. So when I was planning this week and we're in the middle of a series talking about what are the things that Flatirons like, what we hold on to, what are the hills that we'll die on? Today I want to be talking about this thing called excellent environments, which is our attempt to get rid of all the weird stuff that gets into church. Have you noticed? All right? So there's all weird stuff kind of creeps into church, and it just gets really, really weird, and we're trying to get rid of all that stuff, and, and we're trying to get rid of some of the, some really bad definitions of church and, and Jesus, all right, and what it's supposed to look like. So I thought of this song, so we're brainstorming all these songs, and just so you know, the song that they're going to play has nothing to do with Jesus, all right? So if you're sitting there going, where's Jesus? He's not in this song, all right? So, and it doesn't have anything really to do with excellent environments, but it does illustrate this huge point that I want to make today, and it goes like this. Have you ever heard a song on the radio or someplace, all right, and you have no idea what they're talking about, you have no idea what the lyrics are, so you just make up your own, and you sit in your car and you sing the wrong lyrics, all right? And you've done this, done this for years, you learn them the wrong way, and even later someone goes, no, that's not what they're saying, they're actually saying that, you're like, thanks, shut up, I'm going to sing it my way, right? Uh, you sing it your way. So, so, so here is probably the most famous song from my days in junior high that illustrates that I learned and I still sing some songs the wrong way.
Yeah. Does that, does that clear up some lyrics for you? Because I learned that song very different. Apparently, revved up like a deuce is a, uh, it's a hot rod. And I, for the last 30 years, I've been singing about feminine hygiene products. Which I had no idea what that was. I asked my mom. She said, we'll talk about it later. We, we never did. We never talked about it. Now I know what that is. I'm glad we never, I wish we had never talked about that. Anyway, <laughs> just gonna be stuck in your head all day. You're welcome. Anyway, but my, my point is this for those that didn't leave. All right. So my, I do have a point. All right. My point is this, just like some nonsense, you know, song lyrics that we got wrong, or we simply based kind of made up based on bad information. I think a lot of us grew up with some really bad definitions of Jesus. And bad definitions of what church should and shouldn't be. And most of those definitions that we've lived with most of our life, we assumed we're in some part of the Bible that we never read, but it's probably there. And it went to the effect of church ought to be like this and look like this. And if you grew up in church, smell like this. It's just, it's just, just true. You know, somewhere in the Bible, do this in church, then don't do this in church and never do this in church and don't ever, ever do this in church. I thought there was a Bible verse that said, don't run in the Lord's house because, because when I was a kid, about 80 women told me that I can't run in God's house. I thought God hated running. He doesn't. They hated me. Those, those ladies hated me, all right? And, but God was fine with running in church. But, but, but because of all that, our fifth value, we've given the name this, is excellent environments. This is one of the hills that we'll die on. It goes like this. We believe that our role, and by our, I'm talking about us individually as followers of Jesus, but also collectively in this place that we call flat irons. Here's why we exist. We believe that our role in the world is to remove obstacles and create opportunities for people to bump into Jesus so that Jesus can teach them, and, so Jesus can teach and do what only he can teach and do. That's, that's why we exist. In other words, an excellent environment removes anything, especially the weird religious stuff that seems to creep into church. It's not in the Bible. Nobody knows where it comes from. Nobody knows what it means anymore, but it, it gets in the way of people actually experiencing Jesus. And we are, an excellent environment gets rid of that. It's always trying to push that out. It goes, it doesn't belong here. The second thing an excellent environment does is tries to create a safe place and engaging and realistic opportunities for people to see and hear from Jesus. So you can make up your own mind. You can make an intelligent decision about what you believe about Jesus and what he says is true and a better way to live. And that's what we're going to pick up today. You know, for the last several weeks, we've been looking at this talk that Jesus gave out in this hill on, on a, in a, in a field. And the whole point of this talk is Jesus is trying to kind of unpack religion and go, no, 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 this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to live connected to me, to to be full of me. This, and today we're going to look at this. This is what it looks like whenever people in the world venture into this place called my church. It's not ours. It's his church. It's just made up of his people. So we're in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. We're going to pick up right where Scott left off last week. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus is out in the field talking to a bunch of people. He says this. Real famous verses. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And then he uses a, like a, a parable or metaphor here. Or, or which of you, if his son, so he's talking to parents. If his son asking for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks, if the son asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, and I'll explain that in a second. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Think about this. How much more will your father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So the first description we find here from Jesus, when Jesus had this idea called, I think I have this idea, it's called church, is this. And, and so the first three things we find about this church that Jesus had in mind, I want to personalize it. I don't want to talk about the churches in the world or churches in other parts of the city or something. I just want to talk about us, all right? But here's what we find Jesus saying to us. Flatirons needs to be a place where anyone who asks receives. Flatirons needs to be a place where anyone who seeks finds. And Flatirons needs to be a place where anyone who knocks is welcome to come on in. 
And the comparison, and this is what Jesus did all the time. He'd take new, unfamiliar spiritual stuff, and he would compare it to stuff that we already had in our life and say they're kind of the same thing. And the comparison that Jesus is going to make here is it's kind of like a parent and a child. And so he looks at this field full of parents and he says this, every parent knows, and Jesus uses the term, even parents who are evil, and by evil, he's not saying you're a horrible, wicked parent. I mean, maybe you are, or that's what your kids call you, whatever, right? But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. When Jesus says the word evil, he means this, even imperfect, spiritually broken, doing our best not to screw it up, but sometimes we don't always get it right. Those kind of parents, Any, any of those parents here? That'd be all of us, all right, right? Every parent knows this. If your child asks for something and you know that they need that, no good parent answers their child by giving them something that will intentionally harm them. You just, you just don't do that. And Jesus says, even the worst parent in the field knows that. The worst parent in this room knows that if your kid asks for something, you don't give them something that's going to hurt them. So if that's true, I mean, do the math in your head. God, your heavenly father, who's a great, perfect father... When anybody comes to him to seek, ask, or knock, he'll do the same thing. He'll give and do what he knows is the best, highest good response to those who are seeking, asking, and knocking on his door. And and what Jesus is saying is that if every person on the planet can expect that whenever they approach God, Jesus says that's what every person on the planet should be able to expect from the church and his people because we're supposed to represent Jesus. Now, now hold on to that, 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 that whole seek, ask, knock thing, okay? We'll come back to that. I, I, I want to tell you about a conversation I had several years ago. I, it was across the street before we moved over here. And, and the, this guy who was volunteering in the church, he, his name is Casey. He said, Jim, can I come in and talk to you? There's some stuff going on in my life. I went, yeah, come on in. So we, we came in and, and he talked about, this is what I'm doing. This, I'm involved in this and this, this is my life. And we went on for, for quite a while. And, and so, so I said, so Casey, you, you've grown up. And he grew up in Texas, went to this little Baptist church in Texas. And he was in youth groups and Bible studies and camps and all that, all, all, all his life. He says, I said, Casey, you've grown up, you know, around church and, and Bible all your life. And, and he's the one who told me, I think the Bible is God's word. So I, so I said, how do you resolve the tension of the way that you just described, I'm living my life, with what you find in God's word? How do you make them both make sense? Because they, they're at odds with one another. How do, you, how do you do that? And I remember his answer, just as clear as the day he gave it to me. He said, well... That stuff in the Old Testament, all that stuff before Jesus was born, I don't think that applies anymore. Okay. Then there's some stuff in the New Testament, I think you can interpret it different ways. Okay, that's dangerous. Okay, but he says, and there's some stuff in the Bible, especially some stuff that Jesus said and, and Paul said, and I just skip over that because I know exactly what it means and what it means would really, really impact my life. I don't like it. I wish it wasn't there. So I just ignore those parts. I said, okay, this isn't a time to pick a fight. So I said, Casey, I got a question for you. Are you looking for truth? And he didn't miss a beat. Yeah, of course. So I'm here. Yeah, I'm looking for truth. I said, okay, let me say it a different way. You know, Casey, are you looking for truth? And are you open to the idea that God's truth for your life may be different than what you thought it was or what you hoped it was? Are you open to that? And this time he didn't answer real quick. He's looking and he went, yes, I think so. I went, great, you're in the right church. Welcome to Flatirons. And here's why I tell you that. Because I think that story lines up perfectly with what Jesus just described. See, every perfect, imperfect parent in this room knows, and every kid in this room, if you really pushed into a corner, you'd have to admit that when a child asks their parent for something, there needs to be a response from that parent, an answer, an action, a response. And that answer, response, and action needs to be the best one, right? The right one, the true answer that is best for what that child actually needs. Even if, and this is where parenting really gets rough, even if the child wanted or expected a different response, or especially when the child doesn't like or can't understand 
why you gave them the answer or acted the way you did, right? Every, every good parent sticks to what they know is best for what their child needs. Or to quote the famous theologians, the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometime, you just might get what you, you need. That's true. See, according to Jesus, Mick Jagger, <laughs> the highest authorities, all right? <laughs> what, what's true with families is also true with God and the environments that people come to find God. Everybody ought to be allowed in. And all questions ought to be allowed to be asked. There shouldn't be anything that's off limits. But the best answers, the only answers being offered from this place is, are not, well, here's what Flatirons believes. Who cares what Flatirons believes? You can go down the street a block and, and that, that church believes something else, all right? Or, or here's what Jim thinks is true. Again, who cares even less what I think is true? Who am I? Here's what some religious experts in the world, someplace you've never heard of before, they've decided you, believe, you should believe. Or here's what churches have taught for 2,000 years. Those aren't all bad things necessarily, but the best response to seeking, asking, and knocking people should be, this is what Jesus said and did. That's all Jesus tells us to do. That's all he, uh, he says, really, I don't want you to do anything more than that. Just, just like when people come to God and ask and seek and knock, people should find the same thing when they come into this place. A safe place to wrestle through what Jesus says, not Flatirons or Jim. What Jesus says is the best, most needed, most helpful, most true answer, response, and action. That's all we're allowed to do here. There's Jesus. That's what he said. Okay? So let's look at verse 12 now. Big famous verse. Jesus is still talking. So if all that's true... Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Now, that's a famous verse. Some of you didn't know this in the Bible. We just call it the what? The golden rule, okay? The golden rule. And, and the thing is, Jesus didn't invent the golden rule, all right? The, the, actually, Jesus um, is misquoting, or actually rephrasing a very famous popular saying that was around hundreds, maybe thousands of years before Jesus even showed up. See, this saying has been around for a long time. Before Jesus showed up, the actual saying went like this, don't treat others the way you don't like to be treated, did you know that every major religion in the world has some form of the golden rule? They do. The thing that makes it different than the way Jesus said it is that every other faith system, every other religion in the world phrases it from a negative position. Here's what I mean about it. Look, look, look at this. Confucius said it this way. Never impose on others what you would not choose for yourself. It's, it's negative. Ancient Egypt, back when Moses was alive. That which you hate to be done to you, do not do to another. It's a negative. Ancient Greece, right up the coast from where Jesus grew up. Do not do to others what would anger you if done to you by others. In the Roman slogan, when Jesus walked around Israel, Rome had taken over Israel. Here's what was painted on the billboards there. Expect from others what you did to them. <laughs> right? Right? And Jesus changes from the negative. Here's how to avoid bad stuff coming back to you. He's not talking about karma here. He says, I'm going to change that to the positive. Here's how to create better things in the world. How? He looks, looks at us, these people in the field, or people in this room today, and goes, I want you to go first. I want you to go first. What do you mean? Do to others, not as they've done to you. That'll get us nowhere. Do to others, not before they do it to you. That sounds like, you know. And it's not do to others so they don't do bad stuff back to you. No, no, no. Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And what Jesus is saying is this. Here's what I want my people, people who follow me or connected to me, full of me. Here's what I want my people to do. I want you to go first. Before anything changes in the world, you go first. You do to people. You demonstrate to other people this is what it looks like to live connected to Jesus. Before they do anything different in their lives. You can hope that they'll do it back to you. But before they do, or even if they never do, you keep on treating other people the way you wish that you were treated by them. Now, why would Jesus do that? Why would he tell us to do that? Because it seems like it sets us up for a lot of disappointment, right? Why would he teach that? 
Well, let's look at the rest of that verse. Verse 12, he says this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is, this golden rule is the law and the prophets. And anytime you hear Jesus say, that's the law and the prophets, what he's saying is, that's the whole Bible. That's the whole Bible. So the, the golden rule is the whole Bible. Right? And another time, some people are trying to trap Jesus. People are always trying to back Jesus into this corner and asking questions, especially about the Bible, hoping he couldn't answer the question, which is not a good idea because he's Jesus. He knows the answer. All right? So anyway, so they go to Jesus and they go, hey, I, I got a question. All right? So Jesus, what's the most important thing you'd ever find in the Bible? Most important thing to come out of God's mouth. Most important commandment. Most important rule. What's the, the most important one? Hoping he'd give another one and go, nope, you're wrong. All right? But he didn't even miss a beat. He's just looking at him, that, that's easy. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the right answer. Most important thing in the Bible, love God, run after God. But he didn't, Jesus didn't stop there. He goes on, he says, and the second is like unto it. I love that. Like unto it means it's equal. You can't separate it from the first. And he says this, you got to love God with everything you are and you have to love your neighbor as yourself. You can't separate them. And then Jesus said this, look at this. He says, on these two commandments, love God and love people, depend or hang all the the whole Bible. You got to catch that. If you put all the things I just said together, here's what Jesus is saying. Doing for others as you would have them do for you not only sums up what Jesus says you can find in the Bible, but here he says everything you might find in the Bible hangs on or depends on or literally falls apart if love God and treat others the way you want to be treated isn't there. It all falls apart. It doesn't matter what else you might say or what else you might do, what else might not happen. It's a moot point. It all falls apart if love God and love people aren't being practiced and demonstrated. And that's some of our experiences, isn't it? They said the right things. They, they, they taught the right things, but they treated me so horrible. And it all fell apart. I'll put it really, really bluntly. Jesus is saying this. Hey, flat irons, even if you do everything else right, you get everything else in the Bible right, we have nothing to say or offer anyone in the world if we don't love God and love and treat people the way we want to be loved and treated. It doesn't matter else what, what we do if we miss that. Right? He said, well, what would that look like? Love God and love people. What would that look like? Well, we should do what we always should do is, is look at our, our leader, our role model, Jesus. Because anytime Jesus says, I want you to do that, before he did that, he'd say, watch me. Now do that. Do what I just did. So what are some of the things that Jesus said and did? How about this? We find this in First John. He says, I'll love you before you love me back. He loved us before we ever turned our way his direction. He says, I want you to do that for people. I want you to love people before they even know that you care about them. He says this in Ephesians 2, I'll let go of my position to pursue and serve your greatest need, even if I get dirty in the process. So that's, why, that's how I want my people to think. I want you to do, I want you to treat people like that. He says, I'll die for you while you're still a sinner. That's Romans chapter 5. I'll die for you before you ever change your mind about anything. Now, we can't die for anybody and do anything good in terms of somebody's sin, but we can reach out to hurting people and do what they need the most before anything is ever going to change in their life. That's just true. Then Jesus taught us this. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says this, a new commandment I give to you. And it's not even really a new commandment. It's a new application of an old, old thing. It's been around for a long time. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And I, I'd expect, if I was writing the Bible, this is how I'd written, written it. As I have loved you, I want you to love me back. That makes sense because that's how I operate in my relationships. I love you, you ought to treat me better, right? But he doesn't say that. He says, as I have loved you, I want you to love her. Love the people that you work with and you go to school with and, and, and the, the most obnoxious people. The way I've loved you in your most obnoxious moment, love him. And I know he's annoying, but that's what, that's what it is. What he says, this is the evidence that you love God. It's the evidence that you love me. Not if you love me back and go to church and sing songs and pray a bunch of prayers and all that kind of stuff. No, 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 no. If you love one another. 
Another place in the Bible says this, if you claim to love God and then hate your neighbor, the Bible says you're a liar. About what? About loving God. Because they both can't be true. I love God and I hate you. Can't do it. Can't do it. Look what Jesus says after that. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. They're connected to me if you love one another. And again, it's not by how many times you go to church, how many addictions that you've conquered in your life, how many Bible verses you've memorized. No, no, no. First, the proof of loving God is how does it make a difference in the way you treat the people around you? So our whole series is values is how do we do what Jesus wants done in the world and how do we do it in a way that Jesus would do it if he were here? So it goes like this is what we've learned so far today. If you love God and understand what loving God really means, you will reprioritize loving other people higher on your list. You'll rearrange and reprioritize the things that you do and the ways that you do them, including you got to let go of some of your own personal wants and preferences so that the higher priority of your life is providing others what they need in a way that they receive what they need the most. And what, is, what does the world need the most? They just need a chance to bump into Jesus so he can change their life. So he can change anything that needs to be changed. That's an excellent environment. That's what we're trying to create here. Now, two more verses and we're done. We're gonna get out here early. Don't get used to it. Okay, so <laughs> Jesus changes the metaphor to, in, in verse 13. He says this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So Jesus changes off the the, the metaphor of parents and kids. And he's now switched over to farming, actually shepherding. Referring to back in Jesus' day, they'd put all their sheep together. They'd pick them out. They'd find grass. And then at nighttime, they'd bring them all back in. And they'd take them through a really narrow gate. And all the shepherds would gather around that gate. And they'd go, that one's mine. That one's mine. They'd come through one at a time. And they'd all come in. And they'd be safe for the night. And I never really understood that until about... About 17 years ago, I went to Africa for, my, for the very first time, and I lived out in a Maasai village for three weeks. Awesome. All right. Anyway, so it's just really, really cool. But the way that they, they build their, their, their little villages, they build huts, or they're called bomas, all right? And they're these mud and, and cow dung huts, sticks, all right? And they build them, and they're, about, they're one room, and they build them in a circle. And then between each one of these huts, they put all these branches that are just covered with thorns. Everything in Africa has thorns on it. And they, they pile them about 10 feet high, and then there's one way in and one way out of the village. And at nighttime, they all come back in. And the, and the gate that, that, that I remember is a little smaller than that one, but it was only wide enough for one person or one cow or, or just a couple of sheep and goats to come through at a time. And at nighttime, then that, that got closed up because outside were lions and hyena. And nobody went outside you know, until, until morning when somebody says, okay, it, it, it's all clear. I think that's the, the picture that Jesus is trying to paint here. What, what do you mean? The way to truth, the way to life, the way to a safe place is narrow. Not many people find it. Jesus also admits that the way to destruction is wide. It's easy to go down the road to destruction. And that's where a lot of people end up. What's that mean? What's that mean? Well, let me, let me put it in the form of, of a couple questions. Why do you think the way to safety in life is so narrow? And well, why, why is the way to destruction so easy and wide? Is it because the way to, to, to screw up your life, it's e- there's so many ways to screw up your life. Isn't there? I mean, this room is testimony of that, right? Right? You know, just look around. Like, oh, six times this week. Right? So anyway, right, so, so it's, it's very easy to screw up your life. But there's only one narrow way to save it. Lots of ways to mess it up. One way, one narrow way to save it. And you go, what, what, do, I, what do you mean by narrow? Well, how about, how about the most controversial statement that Jesus ever made? You know what it is? The most divisive, controversial thing that came out of Jesus' mouth? guy asked him, how do I get to God? How do I connect to God, be with God? And Jesus said this, Jesus said to him, he said, I'm the way. I'm the way to God. I'm the truth of God. I'm the life of God. And here is the most controversial sentence that ever came out of Jesus' mouth. He says, no one, nobody comes to the Father, connects to God, 
unless they go through me. See, Jesus, not flat on his not Jesus is claiming to be, I'm the only gate. I'm the only way to God, the Father. And no one will connect to God. It's impossible to connect to God unless you go through me. That's what Jesus said. My question for us today is this. In our world today, in our culture, in America 2013, all right, is that claim by Jesus too narrow for us to accept? Because let's be honest, even if you're here today and you go, I'm a Christian and I believe that, doesn't that statement by Jesus kind of make you wince when you hear him say, I'm, I'm the only one. I'm the only way to connect to God. And even if you're sitting here in this, world, in, in this room, you go, well, I believe that. But you know, that's, gonna go, that's not going to go over well. You know, it's not. It's, a, it's, it's not going to be considered very politically correct or very, very, very tolerant. It just doesn't seem very loving. Okay. Well, let me go back to the question I asked Casey a couple years ago in my office. Let me ask you the same question. Are you, are you, are you looking for truth? Followed by, are you open to the idea that the truth that Jesus has in mind for you may be different than what you thought it was or even hoped it was? Because see, when Jesus makes those big, bold statements, it's his truth, not mine. It's his truth. He said it. That is what he said. So it's up to him to defend it. I'm just not allowed to change it or water it down or dumb it down. We'll talk more about that next week. My job or our job as, as flat irons is simply to go, this is what he said. This is what Jesus said about this or that or whatever. And this is how he said it. And if you're sitting here thinking, man, that's really, really tough. Because it's going to really trip some people up in my life. If you're thinking that's going to be really hard for people to accept, you're not alone. Christians have been wrestling over that exclusive statement that Jesus made for over 2,000 years. A guy named Paul wrote a big chunk of the Bible. He wrestled through it. And this is how he says it. He says this. And he wrote this to some people who were wrestling through that very issue. He says, for the message of the cross. And what's the message of the cross? We're all sinners. Jesus died for our sin, put our faith in him. He forgives our sins. We get to be with God. That is the message of the cross. The message of the cross, here it is. It's foolishness. If you want to translate out of the Greek into different words, they're all the same. It's ridiculous. It's nonsense. It's absurd. To who? To those who are perishing. But to, to, to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The, the message of the cross can change your life. And a lot of us are kind of witnesses to that. Skip down to verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Anything we could think up, God's better. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And what Paul is saying is this. People are going to trip. They are. But if they're going to trip, let it be because they trip over what Jesus said, what Jesus did. Don't let them be because they trip over us. And the stuff that we say and do that's nothing like Jesus. See, in other words, I I don't have to defend the cross. I'm not going to stand up here and try to talk you into believing in the cross. I don't have to defend that Jesus claimed to be the only life, truth, and way to God. For the person God is working on, and really the only person that God is working on, it either will or won't make sense. So if somebody rejects the cross, that's one thing. Again, I can't change anybody. I can't fix anybody. I can't save anybody. And I can't make you believe anything as big as Jesus is the only way to God. That's between them and Jesus. You got to work out your stuff. But if people never get a chance to accept or reject the cross, not because of Jesus and what he said and did, but because before they even get close to Jesus, they run into us, his followers. They run into people who create obstacles and barriers, obstacles and barriers that Jesus never meant to put up, but somehow we put them up. And the result is that people who are actually asking, seeking, and looking for a better way, a better truth for their life, they never even got a chance to get close enough to Jesus to bump into him. If that's the case, that's on us, not Jesus. See, Jesus can defend himself. It's up to him to say, I really am the way, the truth, and the life. He'll have to talk you into that. But if a person rejects Jesus because of Jesus, that's between you and Jesus. But if a person rejects Jesus because of something we did that's nothing like Jesus, that's on us. And I believe Jesus is going to ask me and everyone in this room, why did you do that? 
Why did you say, I didn't say that. Why did you tell people I said that? And why did you treat people like that? I never treated people like that. And I think we're going to be held accountable for that. See, the question that I have to ask myself as the leader of, of this church, but also as, as this whole place, we have to continue to ask ourselves, did I help people who are asking, seeking, and knocking get close enough to Jesus so he actually can defend himself? Or did we get in the way of what Jesus wanted to do in somebody's life before he even had a chance to open his mouth? See, in today's world, what Jesus has to say, no matter how extreme, what I'm finding isn't the reason why people quit going to church. The reason people have given up on Christianity and, and, and going to church and things like that has nothing to do with what Jesus said and did. In my experience, in my experience, it's this. It's almost always because of the weird stuff they have to endure to even get close to him. And I'm talking about church. In order to get to Jesus, I have to sit through bad, outdated music that I'm subjected to. I have to wade through the judgmental stairs of Christian people as I push through just because I want to hear from Jesus. I have to endure the, the drone or the dullness of a boring delivery and the lack of connecting real truths to real life and the teaching. People just put up, that's not worth it. You know, the questions that I hear most frequently as the pastor of Flatirons have, have very little to do with what do you all believe here about God? Every once in a while, I have somebody come to me a lot and go, hey, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about this? What do you believe about that? And, and you, almost always, those are Christian people. They're already believers. And they've either moved here from someplace else and they're looking for a church that they can trust. And they walk in here and go, you do believe in Jesus, right? Because it's weird, weird, right? It's not like, yeah, we're in, we're good, you're good, all right? So anyway... So, but usually they're people that have got mad or frustrated with their old church. And this is like the 11th church in a row they've gotten mad and frustrated with and just looking here or their old church got mad and frustrated and says, go, go look for another one. And they're here. All right. So, but, but most, most of the questions don't have anything to do with what do you believe about Jesus? They're about other stuff. I get asked this question at least once a month. All right. People come in here and go, Hey, wh- where are all the crosses and statues of dead people? Cause that's what I grew up with. And here's the answer. We don't have any. Why? Because I think statues are creepy. I do. I do. It's like, oh, it's looking at me. I, that's just creepy, all right? <laughs> and here's the other part. Just because you hang a cross on the wall or put one up on the roof doesn't make the place less or more spiritual. We would actually rather live out the message of the cross rather than just point to one we bought at a store. as proof, see, we're Christians. His picture's on the wall. Do you remember, do you remember a, few, a, few, a few weeks ago, I made a comparison went like this. You can tell if an apple tree is healthy or not based on the presence or the lack of presence of apples. Yeah, you, you listened, all right, right? Well, here's how I, I say about religious symbols, all right? Just because you nail or staple some apples to the limbs of a dead tree, it might fool other people into thinking it's a healthy apple tree, but it's not. It's just a dead tree with apples stapled to it. <laughs> I think that describes a lot of churches. See, if, if people are going to make decisions if Jesus lives here or not, let it be because they see him alive and growing in us, not just because we put his picture on the wall or his symbol on the roof, all right? Here's one I'll, I get all the time, right? Um, it gets more offensive, more offensive, right? I get asked this question almost every week. Why do you play the music you play? Here's the answer. Because we like it. We like it, all right? We do. Why do you, here's a follow-up. But, but why do you play so loud? Again, it's because we like it, all right? We do, all right? You know, there, there, there's no mention in, in, the, in the, the definitions of church in the Bible that even mentions music. The only time I can find is that Jesus was in, in an upper room. They sang a song together and then they went out and they crucified Jesus. But it, it, methodology, there's nothing that says you have to play it this way or that way or whatever, right? So actually, I, I have a, a better explanation of why we play the music. We play both the, the, the music that has specifically to do about Jesus and the other music that we play that, that doesn't. I have two wins. First of all, both, if you read the Bible, both Jesus and Paul were always quoting local philosophers and, and poets, right? That is the music of our day. 
If you turn on your radio, you turn on TV or whatever, our artists and, and, and our musicians out there are the ones that are asking the questions that our culture is asking. They are defining our culture. They are asking the questions that all of us have. They're, they're saying, this is what frustrates me. This is what wounded my life. This is what I'm looking for. There's some answers that I've found. These are the philosophers of our day. And if you read what Jesus wrote and what, what, Paul, what Paul wrote, you'll see that they were asking the same question. And they go, even your own philosophers are asking this question. Can I give you the real answer? And that's what all these songs are, are really about. So that's the first one. We're just trying to do what Jesus did a lot. And the second is, we want to communicate people, who, especially people who have been wounded by church, to come in here and go, hey, take a breath. It's going to be okay. And this isn't so weird. Listen, it's a little weird, but listen, what happens in here isn't different than what's out there. What happens in what you learn in here actually works out there. I get really sick and tired all the time about, here's church and then there's the real world. Folks, there is one world. And this truth works out there if you'll give Jesus a chance. The other part is, especially for those of us that got really, really wounded by church, I want people to come in here and go, well, the music doesn't suck. Maybe the teaching doesn't either. So I'll listen. And my goal is to get some people that unclench their fists and go, okay, I'll listen. And our music is the best I've ever heard inside the church or outside the church. They do do a great job, all right? So, but it's not about music. It's not. It's a means to an end. I get asked this question all the time, all right? What's what's the dress code at Flatirons? We don't have, we don't have one. I, I have one. We don't enforce it. But here would be mine if we had one. Please don't dress in a way that causes people to pay more attention to you than what Jesus might want to say. All right. And you know what I'm talking about. All right. So, um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. are going. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. I'm not pointing anybody with that. Just like, maybe, maybe I am. I don't know. It's, uh, so I, remember, I remember when we moved across the street. So we were over there in this, you know, this dingy little feed store over there and it was like I can't see I can't hear all that kind of stuff and so we were going to build this thing over here and so people the questions I got asked all the time is, is that place going to change us because I've seen buildings change people right and so are we going to be more formal are we going to dress up are we, gonna, are we still going to be able to dump our coffee like a hundred of you do every week all right can we can, can we still do that and and so I remember the very first service the, we had the doors closed and I stood right back there behind that screen I peeked around the corner and the doors opened and the first person down that aisle was a Hooters waitress right from work she had on her Hooters shirt and these little orange shorts she went, boo, 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 right I mean, she, I'm running down there that was a bad well anyway so she ran down here and I remember, I remember we got to edit that out okay hey uh I remember looking around the wall and went, well, nothing's changed. There you go. And so I got home last night and Robin says, you got it wrong. That wasn't a Hooters waitress. It was a 65-year-old woman wearing a Hooters shirt. <laughs> I went, well, there you go. <laughs> All right. No, nothing's changed. All right. So anyway, I'm, do, do, you, do you understand though what I'm getting at? All the most frequently asked questions are all asking really the same thing. They're not, what about God and what about Jesus? It's what will I find here? What will I find here? Will, will someone like me be welcomed into this place? Will you accept me as I am? Does this place really understand what's going on in my life? Because nobody else really does. And does this place anything, ha, have anything to offer that's real or helpful? Because if so, I might stay. I might even come back. But if not, life's too short to waste. I'm going to move on until I find something that actually works. That's what we're trying to build here. So let, let me wrap, up, wrap this up. We've got one more week on these values. But, but here are the hills that we'll die on. We won't let go of these. First one goes like this. Jesus is the son of God. We believe that. He died on a cross for our sins. He rose on the third day, making it possible for us to have an intimate relationship with God through grace and truth. Second, all we're allowed to say here is this is what Jesus said and this is what he did. I'm not allowed. Scott's not allowed to change it. 
back off of it or pick and choose the parts we concentrate on or leave out because they're awkward or intrusive. We're going to teach everything that Jesus said. Third, everybody who's looking for truth is welcome here. The only people we would ask to leave and we've asked people to leave before is anybody who's standing in the way of somebody actually seeking and asking and knocking and you're in the way of them finding Jesus and anybody who throws stones at anybody else that makes a mistake along the way or falls down. We really would rather you throw stones somewhere else. See, you, you can belong here long before you believe. You just can't beat up anyone as they try to figure out what they believe. Fourth, we believe that only Jesus can save and only Jesus can teach and change the biggest, deepest, most important parts of a person's life. So if anything needs to change or is ever going to change, that's between you and Jesus. You all work it out. Your personal taste and style and volume of music, not a hill will die on. Not a hill will die on. Your opinion on church dress code, not a hill will die on. Where you land on how and when and how often we ought to take communion, when you should be baptized and how you should be baptized, I think those are very, very, very important things, but not important to say it's a hill we'll die on. Here's the excellent environment hill we will die on. I'll go down fighting on this one. A place that you can invite your friends to come and see. And it goes like this. If you're looking for truth, according to Jesus, nobody here will get in your way or throw stones at you while you ask, seek, and knock. Does anybody want to go to a church like that? I do. All right, I'm done. Five minutes early, stand up. All right, we're gonna sing and military people, just don't forget to give that and rich people, don't forget to pay for it. Okay, so, you know who you are, all right? <clears throat> Let's pray. God, I love you so much. Uh, I can't speak for anybody else, but I think I'm gonna give some words to some people. It goes like this. As followers of you, we're sorry for getting in the way of you. We grew up with what we thought was right, what was true, and we based that on our own personal preferences and experiences. And somehow we confused that with your word. And because of, of that, we got in the way. And so we're sorry for that. And we apologize to anybody that, that we, we've, we've actually caused a trip up before they even got a chance to be with you. God, we're just trying to tr- create a safe place where truth is spoken. Not truth according to Jim or flat irons or anything like that, but just this is what you said is a better way. And we're running after that. God, I, I, feel that, I pray that everybody who comes into this place feels safe, feels welcome. If they have questions, I might not be able to answer them all, but if they'll give you enough time and enough space and, we'll, and we'll, we'll really pay attention, I believe you'll answer all of our questions and show us, as only you can, that you are a better way. That's the, that's the church we want to be a part of. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.